0: wonderful happy people you're listening to the happy and corporate podcast a podcast that teaches you how to be happy and grow in and out of the workplace my name is benny i'm an executive coach working in sales for a big corporation i'm sitting down with my mic here to discuss all of the things i wish i had known before starting my career in this podcast we talk growth mindset we talk happiness we talk health we talk becoming a manager and so many other topics but what you will have is 100% authenticity and vulnerability, 100% English mistakes and I hope 100% value in those episodes for you. But enough introduction, let's deep dive into today's topic. Welcome to this series where we learn all about how to become the best people managers possible from the best people managers they are around. The reason I'm starting the series is because in my current role, I moved from teams to teams every three to six months to cover for any long-term leaves within our EMEA teams. And one thing that I found very common is individual contributors stepping into their first manager roles and being totally lost. Of course, many companies do provide trainings to managers around compliance, ethics, HR, etc. But there are very few that do provide training around how to be a great people manager and the intricacies and responsibilities that come with it. So in this series, I'll try to bring to you people that I've heard are great people managers or have experienced as great people managers myself so they can share their wisdom with us. So today, in this episode, I'm really, really excited because we are welcoming Joris Max Benjaminson. If you go on his LinkedIn profile that I have added also to the notes of the podcast, he describes himself as an award-winning author, an organization transformation expert specializing in cultivating, including high-performance teams and cultures. But what's interesting about him, and drove me to one of his posts, actually, is that Apart from writing about six books already on marketing, management, and even courage, he was one of the highest scoring managers of all time when he was working at Google as the head of Google Digital Academy. So from that experience, he will obviously share today, he wrote his latest book, which is Managing Without Power. But one story I wanted to just take a moment to go through before we hear about him and start the interview is a story of how I contacted him. So I stumbled upon one of his posts on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, this guy looks amazing. Really wish I could have him on this series and interview him. But then I was like, what can he expect from like someone like me? I have a tiny podcast, you know? So why, he would even say yes. And so I postponed the task for many, many days until one Friday morning, I was like, you know what? The worst thing that can happen is that he's gonna say no. And so I start writing him a message, sent the message and literally probably 10 minutes after Joris answered like, yes, of course I would be happy to do that with you. And so it's also a story about like daring in life, but enough about daring and let's go into today's interview. So excited about this. So hi Joris. Hi there. How are you?
1: Very good. We are here in a sunny Amersfoort in the Netherlands.
0: Oh, nice. I cannot say the same for Dublin today, but we're getting there. <laughs> but I'm actually so excited to receive you on the podcast today and maybe start with our first question of the day. Can you introduce yourself for people that are listening to us?
1: Yes. Well, my full name is uh, Joris Merks Spenjerminsen. So the, the the second bit of that is the... The surname of my wife, so we combined them when we ma- married. My wife is called Claire, and uh, we have two kids together, Ayana and Odin. Like, the Ayana is nine, Odin five. And we just brought them to school this morning for their uh, second day of school after summer. I've, I've been a competitive judo player for about uh, 20 years. Like, it's almost like my first life feels a bit like that. And, and, and I've done lots of martial arts in that period, like the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Aikido and mixed martial arts. And then at some point I got a serious injury and, and, and I couldn't practice sports, like almost no sports anymore, which kind of brought me into career. It was almost at the same time my career started. And first half of my career has been in like marketing, advertising, media, and brands. So I used data and insights to consult large brands about their strategies. Um, and that eventually brought me to Google, which is like almost my second half of my career where I worked for 12 years initially as the head of market insights. And then I became head of digital transformation, working with their largest customers to work on their digital transformation challenges, like a customer-facing role. And the last six years, I was managing a team that was distributed across EMEA, and I became one of their highest scoring managers, which kind of brought me to... It's not my first book. Like, uh, I've written several books. Like, like the, my first book was Summary Business, about the transition between... Martial Arts and Work Life. Then I wrote a few books about this marketing transformation and now this topic of management uh, kind of brought me to my latest book Managing Without Power and Becoming Self-Employed to Train Managers and Leaders.
0: That's exciting and I like how you started from who am I as a person and then you know the career etc because sometimes when we ask can you introduce yourself people already start with you know career directly so I like the approach from like this is who I am this is my family etc before you get into like what I do for a living basically
1: yeah like who I am shapes very much all the things that happened right yeah
0: great storyline great (laughs) storyline maybe um, because the series is also about like people becoming managers if we take you back to the first time that you became a manager how did that happen was it by chance was it an opportunity tell us more about it
1: and so the interesting thing is that I've deliberately avoided being a manager for as long as I could, almost. Like So w- when I entered Google, I had uh, a level of seniority already where most people would be managers, and, and it was even like probably bad for my career at that point not to be a manager. Um, but I loved doing customer-facing work, and I also had an image about managers that as soon as they became managers, they never saw customers anymore. So I felt like, well, they were not adding any relevant value and they became these internal political animals. And and I, so I thought, well, I don't want to become that kind of person. I kind of made it my job to have a certain unique expertise, customer-facing work. and, And I got myself an evangelist role. And so they accepted that I wasn't a manager despite being very senior. And at some point... I was running my digital transformation workshops with uh, initially in in the Benelux, so Belgium and Netherlands mostly with the largest customers. I ran full day workshops with groups of leaders to kind of figure out where do they get stuck on digital transformation and how can we unblock it. And that was successful, so I was allowed to train a bunch of Googlers around me who also wanted to run these workshops and it became a Northern European role. And that kind of scaled my work, and then I got the opportunity to lead a team across EMEA, which would run the same types of workshops, but then a much larger scale, and, and, and like with 20 something people. And then I felt like, okay, like if 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 I can run that particular team, you know, then then I want to give it a try to become a manager, but if I do it, I want to do it well, you know, like, so, so I literally stopped all of my customer facing work. I used to speak on conferences a lot uh, during that time as an evangelist on digital transformation. I stopped all conference. And so I kind of dedicated all my time, training myself up, reflecting, testing things to become a good manager.
0: Interesting how it happened, like kind of organically or step by step. And then you were like, okay, I'm going to dedicate some time and be good at that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And apparently the results were quite good, right? Because you mentioned you were one of the highest-rated uh, managers at Google. So maybe the question is, what's your secret sauce?
1: Now well, it, it's worth knowing how it's measured in the first place, right? Like so, so how it works at Google is um, every manager gets evaluated by their team every six months, and that evaluation is part of the performance uh, evaluation of the manager. So so like every Google employee gets a performance rating every six months, at least during the time I was there. They they, they changed it to once a year uh, recently. And that performance score that you get defines like your salary, your bonus, whether you get equity, it defines your opportunities for promotion. And so the evaluation of of managers by their team is part of the, the evaluation of the manager and defines the opportunities and the reward for the manager, like at least amongst other things. So that's, that's, that's quite unique. I don't know a lot of companies where, where the evaluation of the team from the manager you know, has that amount of influence. So they do that evaluation based on a famous research project from the Google People Analytics team. And it's codenamed Project Oxygen. Uh, what was published like widely because uh, the, the VP of people operations wanted to open source Google's way of working. And so they found 10 behaviors of great managers and they use it to evaluate managers on. That's a survey of 11 questions in total. And when all people that report into you answer positively to all questions, that's when you get a 100% score. And I've had a track record of 1200% scores in a row. Uh, whereas, like, getting a 100% score once is already a rare occasion. So it may n- never have happened at all in the history of the company. Fair.
0: That's fantastic. Can you tell us more about, like, because I know that you mentioned you kind of research. also, you wanted to be the best manager possible. So what was your approach?
1: Yeah, so there's not one thing, right? So that's, that's uh, there's not like a magical trick. And that's also why there are 10 behaviors of great managers. Like, I can actually, I have the list in front of me. Like the 10 behaviors is like, it's a good coach. Empowers doesn't micromanage. Is inclusive, like creates an inclusive environment and and cares about well-being, is productive and results-oriented, communicates well, shares information, discusses career development, but also performance evaluations, has a good vision and strategy for the team, has the right skill set to be able to coach the team well, collaborates across silos in the organization, and is a good decision maker. So those are the 10 attributes. But the nice thing about that is that there's also opposites in there. So like it's a strong decision maker and does not micromanage. Like there's a certain friction in there because you want to give people autonomy to make their own decisions. But every now and then there is a decision you just need to make. And so you have to do it at the right moment. And it varies a bit. What is micromanagement for one person might actually be lack of guidance for another person. Right? So, and so there's lots of opposites in there and you have to apply them with the right balance, with your knowledge of the individuals in your team and situational awareness. And what I realized is like my team was distributed. So everybody was distributed because of me, I was the only person in the Netherlands. And I just knew like, there's no way I can effectively manage this team if I don't understand uh, who these individuals are as people, as professionals, what gives them energy, what drains their energy. Because like I didn't want to control them Like I didn't want to have Mm -hmm. to check, you know, like, are you actually doing the work that we agreed? I I just wanted them to do it based on intrinsic motivation, but I also knew it wasn't possible like being a remote manager. So my first action as a manager has been that I visited all my team members like uh, twice a year or so. And we would just go for full days, like forest walks. Eventually, we, we developed a habit that they would either visit me in my country or I would fly to them. And then the person whose home country it was would pick what we would do. You know, And then I would spend a full day with them. And my goal was to see the full person. But also, I made it a bit like a career conversation to figure out, like, okay, what, what are the things in your job you get energy from now? Which one's not so much? Uh, which projects do you want more of, less of? What's next after this job, what's next after this team, what's next after Google? You know, and that, that so I kind of made a habit out of that. And that was the starting point, just deeply knowing all the people, building trust with them, and thereby giving them projects that were a fit to their intrinsic motivation, where they wanted to grow. You know, that was the, the first starting point. And I think that 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 genuine effort that I made was probably the basis of my first hundred percent score. And then from there, I used my manager feedback that I got, Like even though I got 100%, like, like there's also open questions where they tell you as a manager, this is what I like about how you manage, this is what I don't like about how you manage, you know? And both parts, there were things I learned, you know? Sometimes they told me something where I thought it was normal and they said, well, you know what? The thing that you do is very special to me. It has lots of value. So I, I realized, okay, I need to keep doing that. And at the same time, they mentioned things to me where I thought I was doing something good for them and then it came out completely different than I expected. You know, it wasn't working. And so I always shared my results openly with the entire team so everybody could see the feedback I got, made a dialogue about it, very consciously picked a few things I could change and then changed my behaviors. sometimes by by deliberately practicing a new style of, of management. And I think the... Like the track record of 12 times 100% score is is literally by consistently using that feedback to figure out what the team needs from me and to adapt my personal management style to that.
0: I think that's very interesting because we can see like one of your strengths maybe in that process was also the curiosity that you had for people. And like the, I like, I like how you say, like, I really want to deeply know them. And spend like quality time with them when you get to visit them. And even though your team was scattered across different countries, which I feel like sometimes makes the management experience a little bit harder because you're not together, you're not sitting together. I feel like you were very intentional when you went and see them or if they were coming to you, you were very intentional about having quality manager, manager time together. And I think even if we sit together also sometimes I feel like we don't get that kind of quality time the meeting can be like cramped into like a full day, et cetera. And we don't get that space to please reflect exchange on a much deeper level. So I really like your, your approach and the way also you use that curiosity to be, okay, what can I improve? How can I experiment, test and learn different styles, et cetera, and see what is working.
1: Yeah, it's very easy not to do it, right? Because exactly as you say, even if you're co-located, there's just so much going on, you know, every every person's work is fragmented in some kind of way. Before you know it, the relationship becomes kind of transactional. And nowadays, like uh, since COVID, um a lot of managers struggle with the question like how do I balance, you know, co-location and working remotely? And how do I manage people if if there's not like do I make it mandatory to come to the office? How many days, you know? That kind of stuff. But but what I've learned through this whole journey where I was remote like from day one, is if you're intentional about those high-quality moments where you create a deep connection with people and you match the projects that you give to them to their intrinsic motivations, you know, then suddenly you, 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 the only thing you have to do is be conscious about certain high-impact moments between you and your team members and between them amongst each other where you bring them together face-to-face for particular purposes. And when you go deep enough on those occasions, it becomes the glue between all the other moments when you interact and you can still have... High trust relations and motivation, connection, etc.
0: That is super interesting, and I think also you find also the element that make trust being built on the long term and not just like okay, trust me now and then short term, blah, blah, then it's done. When we're thinking about the the long term, so that very uh, interesting approach, and I think it's also very different from other guests we had on the podcast so far. So thank you for for sharing your approach. I know that you seem to release. A new book right in English because you've already released it in Dutch if I'm not mistaken it's called Managing Without Power so what can we expect in your book tell us more about it
1: It's a combination of things it's true indeed the Dutch version came out like a month ago or so and uh, the the English version of Managing Without Power is on Amazon right now with like the first delivery date is uh, 30th of August I run my trainings under the same title Managing Without Power and what, what the book is, is like, like in the opening, I kind of set the scene by making people conscious about uh, the way management is kind of malfunctioning uh, in most large organizations. It's, it's particularly in large organizations. And it's very easy to see in the data what's wrong there. Like consultancy agency Gallup has this research. They started like many years ago with the uh, State of the American Manager report. And uh, it was a famous quote that came from the report that people leave managers, they don't leave companies, you know, it it articulated the fact that a bad experience with the manager is the number one reason why people leave companies. And since then, they've run that like every single year, and they've made it a global study. And they also added a second study, which is about engagement of employees. And uh, in Europe, only 14% of the employees says they're engaged at work about 71% of the people are like quiet quitters. So so they're they're kind of at work, but they're not maximizing their impact because they just don't feel it matters. And at the same time, managers influence 70% of the variance in engagement. So like the opportunity of, of managers is massive. If you have great managers, you will have an engaged and impactful organization, great culture. If you don't have them, then you have quiet quitters and people leaving the company. And, and the reality is most people don't have great managers. So, so I try to sketch why this is. And my observation is that most of the time it's not a lack of will. So most managers want to be great managers, but they're stuck in a political environment. And that political environment starts with the very small group of managers that picks the manager role for the wrong reason. So they pick it to progress their own career. And that essentially means that They invest a bit more in managing upwards at the cost of managing downwards, at the cost of investing in your team. You know, like all these, what what I'm sketching, like, well, spend a full day to get to know the individuals, you know, like conscious attention for the team is just like second priority for them because their career and managing upwards is first priority. And the problem is if they are successful with that. And that is very often the case. So, so these people are often very successful with their managing upwards, which means that they have slightly larger opportunity to get rewarded, promotion, etc. And that creates a prisoner's dilemma for a very large group of people who are managers for the right reasons, who want to be great managers. Because these are stuck between, okay, every bit of time I spent investing in my team, goes at the cost of the competition I have with those people that manage upwards. So you kind of have to make the trade-off. How much time do I spend upwards and downwards? And if you don't spend enough time upwards, you end up losing from the the political managers. It doesn't just harm your own career, but it also harms your ability to show senior leadership the the great things your team has done. It harms your ability to uh, get resources for your team. So that makes it super hard, even for willing managers, to give the team what they need. You know, it's, it's a very tough, tough gig.
0: And I feel also in what you were saying, that it's kind of like, it's a long-term game to be a manager and invest in your team. Like the investment is a long-term, return on investment kind of opportunity. And managing it upwards sometimes, like I feel like the short-term benefits could be also more attractive than, you know, investing in your team long-term, etc. But I like the balance how you, like the trade-off and the prisoner dilemma that you're highlighting. It's uh, very interesting. So that's what we can expect in your book then. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. The long-term game is also like the thing that you need is to reset that power balance, right? So, so yeah. even yeah. if you are not one of those managers that uses power to get away with uh, just focusing on your own career at the cost of the team, the problem is teams accept it because they know how the hierarchy in companies works. So, so like literally from day one, you become a manager they no longer treat you as equals. There they, are certain things they no longer tell you. And I was speaking to a group of uh, ex-Google uh, uh, managers, like ex-colleagues from me. So I asked them, like, do you recognize this? You know, like from day one, you became a manager. And then one of them said, like, well, I've noticed that ever since I'm a manager, if people laugh about my jokes, I'm no longer certain whether the joke was really funny, you know? <laughs> and, and so that's, that's the problem number one. So, so there's a sort of unbalancing power that happens and it gets worse if trust is low, because people, if people tell you, for instance, in a career conversation, that they're considering leaving a year from now, then they worry. Well, then maybe I don't get a good rating anymore. Then I don't get opportunities anymore. You know, like etc. So they don't tell you if the trust isn't extremely high. And so you have to consciously invest in resetting that trust. And the 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 mechanism of manager feedback is very powerful in that. So if you, if you take the manager feedback and make sure that critical feedback never backfires you change your behavior and you do that over and over again you show them through their through your behavior consistently that it's safe to give you feedback and that it changes your behavior then at some point after like 5 6 cycles they would just come to you and tell you in your face like well, you know what you did that it wasn't okay that's what you need to create
0: by showing and behaving in a way that uh, also helps yeah act on their feedback etc shows like a it, it's building over time a positive loop of like you give me feedback, I act on it. Worst case scenario, I acknowledge it, maybe not act on it, but I will tell you why, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it, yeah, it creates over time this safe space of like I can tell you what I think, and there is no, it's not backfiring or anything. You you will appreciate that that transparency.
1: Yeah, and what I do in the book is so like first of all make aware like this is the damage of of mediocre management, you know then i kind of help the managers who want to be great managers to see why it's so hard the political playing field and how you can deal with it and at the same time i give like managers of managers the tools to make sure that they minimize the influence of the political managers so they maximize the space of the people that are managing for the right reason to do the right things for their team and then finally i give those managers a highly practical toolkit to start applying it from day one, which starts with like five million basics, and then from there I build it out with deliberate toolkits to create diverse and inclusive workplaces, and to create organizations that are agile that can reinvent themselves over and over again.
0: Yeah, interesting, as you can see from your training days, it's a very actionable book.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The, like, like I write it because I want to make, I want to change organizations. You know, I want to create space for the great managers to be seen and valued, you know, and so that they can create an environment for people in their teams to be seen and valued for investing in the right behaviors. And that creates, like, organizations where all types of people can succeed. It creates organizations that do well for the world instead of being opportunistic uh, about how they go
0: about business. Super interesting. Super interesting. I know that you mentioned, like, you, you had those amazing ratings about, like, your management style and the feedback that you get from your team is there at any point anything that you feel like you have failed or that you know was a very particularly difficult time for you that you know it's somehow you overcome
1: two types of things like one is probably this that might be interesting is a thing i learned through the manager feedback i I have an example of of what made made the position of manager extremely tough in, in certain periods the thing with the manager feedback, and it illustrates how how, how powerful that tool is, there was, um, in my early days, I'm super disciplined, like my background in martial arts, you know, like in, in competitive sports, like like everything I do is structured, disciplined. And um, so when I finish my day, I always have an empty inbox and my to-do list is empty. Like, and everybody who sends me an email or I promise to do something, like I do it often within minutes, you know, and, and or at least the same day. And... I thought like, well, that I'm servicing my team with that, I'm making their life easier. And when and then it turned out so, so that, that some people actually got stressed from it. And because they would send me an email, and then within five minutes, it was like, bam, answer back. You know, and then they saw my email, and because I'm the senior, they feel obliged to read it and respond. So they sent me an email back, and then within five minutes I get another one. You know, and before you know it, they back and forth in email, even though email might not be their preferred channel of communication. And maybe they need uh, a focused work time or whatever. You know, so it, it created stress for them. And so, mm-hmm. so I thought I was servicing them. and They made me aware, okay, this is stressful. And so, so I learned to say, like, you know what? I, I will just drop them an email, like, well, I read your mail, parked it in our one-on-one documents uh, so we can discuss it when we meet later this week. Yeah. And so they, they, they didn't have to go back and forth. And I adapted my communication based on also the, the preferences yeah. and communication styles of people. was a good example an extremely tough period in my time it it mostly has to do with this political playing field so on the one hand you invest massively in your team you know and and i I always felt like all the time i can't invest in my team it's time wasted and at the same time you're in this competition with quite a few people who are just fighting for their own careers like peer managers and the, the more senior you get the more of those people there are that are primarily in the race for their own careers, because they're quite successful in that in that game. So at some point, I always felt like I was fighting in one part of the spectrum while still trying to service my team, create space for them uh, to do the right things. Uh, and that that was very tiring. The worst period there has been where it happened twice, even, like, and it was two periods of two years each, where a peer manager came in that was extremely damaging to like deliberately damaging people, but doing it in a way so they got away with it. Uh, Because I became a a trusted place, psychological safety around me, people came to me instead of going to HR with all kinds of stories, and none of them knew that they weren't the only one. So so, so like in a period of three months or so, I had like eight, nine, ten people coming to me with stories about the same person uh, with a clear pattern in it without them knowing it from each other. And then you have to think about, okay... If I do nothing, you know, this person is just going to continue. Like that person has been doing it for 10 years already and they got away with it. So apparently nobody's intervening. And then you have to escalate it, but you don't know whether you're going to be believed or not, right? And it's about a peer manager. And when they see you escalate, you might become the target too, you know? And so I've had to escalate these stories for two years until finally the person got removed from the from the company. And, and that was really tough because you, 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 like, you have no idea whether you're going to be believed. I knew I could lose my job over it, promotion, opportunity, whatever. And at the same time, I thought, well, if, you know, if, if this is not being dealt with, like I don't want to work for this organization anymore. So, so I still did it. And then in the end, what happened is after two years, and it happened twice even, mm-hmm. uh, is a reorg happened. The most damaging people got removed and I got a bigger team. But there's two years before that where you don't know what's going to happen. You just feel unsafe. You have to fight battles. You have to escalate, and and that unsafety that sticks with you even even when you win.
0: You know? Thank you for sharing. And I feel like also when we talk about management, and I, it's like ah, oh, this is all beautiful, etc. But I feel like also in your story, we see like also the there is a responsibility that comes with it, not only for the people in your team, but also sometimes for what is happening around and you took this responsibility very seriously and this ownership very seriously at the expense of potentially in those two years, you know, promotion opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. But you be- you did what you believed was right. for. Yeah, and it's
1: company. part of the long-term game, right? Like this yeah. is an extreme example. Like, like if you become a manager in a large organization, it's almost certain that you're going to find yourself in a political playing field at least to some extent and it gets slightly worse the more senior you get. Uh, and then every now and then you're unlucky and you bump into an extreme example, right? Like, and that's definitely something you have to prepare for. Despite all of that, if you manage to do the right thing, I think most of the time you will win in the long term, depending on what organization you're in. Like, so, so you have to be very conscious, like, okay, what kind of behavior is valued by my senior leadership? And if it turns out that despite doing the right thing year after year, you know, the, the, the bad guys win, you know, and the, the bad people win. Mm-hmm. Then, then you're probably just in the wrong organization. You have to consider leaving because uh, then there's probably another organization with better culture that will value uh, you from be doing the right thing as a manager.
0: Yeah, and that would be, I feel like what you're talking about is also how your own values align with the values of the company. And if they are dram- dramatically different, then think about where you can find a, you know, a company or build your own company, right? That have those values that you you feel are important to you.
1: Yeah, and it's never going to be perfect. That's the problem. Like, it doesn't mean the organization is 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 rotten. It's yeah. just like how people in groups behave. There's always a few yeah. people that are managing for the wrong reason and they make life for the rest complicated. Almost all of them, they never completely cro- cross the line of bad behavior. So it's not like a senior leader can say, oh, you know what, I will just send you away. You know? So they also have to tolerate some political behavior. And, and so you yeah, kind of have to find a way to deal with it and so there's always going to be a, a little bit of a gap between your personal values and what you need to do to to survive, let's say. But if that gap becomes so large that you either can't change it or changing it would cost you so much that it's not worth doing, then you have to consider leaving and you'll probably find another place that is also not perfect, but with a lot, lot smaller gap, you know? Yeah,
0: and, and maybe less also cognitive dissonance where you're like, oh, what's happening and what I believe in, etc. But super interesting. I think uh, maybe one last question before we move on to Lego. So <laughs> where we can find you. Uh, one last question is like, if you had a single piece of advice for people that are aspiring to be great people managers, what would that be?
1: So the number one thing is is like the only good reason to become a manager is is, is if you want to build a great team and, and, and have a, an intrinsic motivation to help individuals grow and, and help them grow as a group and, and be impactful as a team. You know, that's the number one thing that is critical and that will make you successful because they feel the difference between a manager that is genuine and a manager that just does the minimal to keep the team kind of okay, and meanwhile, build their own career. So they feel the difference, and it also has a massive impact on team effectiveness, team culture, right? So you you make the team more effective, but you also make people more happy, more productive, and thereby the company does better things. So it starts with that genuine intention to understand people and to make them the best they can be, to help create a space where they can be the best they
0: can be. And that's a very difficult job. (laughs) Thank you so much, Joris, for your time. If we want to stay in contact with you, or if we want to follow your work and the amazing books that you will release in the future, I'm sure because I'm not, I'm almost sure that Managing Without Power is not the last, it's just the latest of your books. So where can you find you?
1: Uh, I think the easiest place is uh, like my website, managingwithoutpower.com. Uh, It also has a contact form. It it explains uh, about the trainings I run with managers and leaders. And the other option is LinkedIn. Like if if you drop me a message through LinkedIn, I will definitely reply most likely the same day.
0: And I can uh, testify for that. Uh, I think I wrote you a message on a Friday and yeah, the same like literally like one hour after I think you were already answering. But thank you so much for uh, being today here on the podcast and looking forward to Receiving you for your next book, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have ideas, but I I think I will just focus on on running my trainings first.
0: (laughs) But thank you so much, Joris. Thank you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Happy Incorporate the podcast. If you feel this episode could be valuable to someone else, make sure you share it with this lovely person and subscribe to the podcast on the platform you use. If you have some feedback, make sure you leave it to me on Instagram and see you very soon for another episode.